Okay. Hi. Uh, so it's Carrie Johnston, and I am filming today from the traditional territory of the Champaign and Ajac First Nations in Dakota Haines Junction. And my guest today is Sunny Gray, and Sunny joins us from Whitehorse, from the traditional territory of Ta'an Christian Council and Kwanlin Dunn First Nation. Welcome, Sunny. Thanks for having me. Uh, so if you could kind of give us a, a little window into what it is you do in the world, what 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 fills your days? Um, so I'm involved in food production and uh, agriculture development, uh, north of 60. So that's, uh, I mean, I'm the CEO of North Star Agriculture and uh, also the CEO of uh, Flat Creek Farms. Um, and yeah, that's what we do. We're, we're into food. We do food. We grow food. We, uh, we facilitate innovation in agriculture to be able to grow food north of 60. And what kinds of foods are you growing? Well, right now, uh, Flat Creek Farms raises meat rabbits and, um, and pork. And um, North Star Agriculture is involved in a number of different projects. Uh, one of them uh, is a vertical farm that we're building out at the hot springs. Um, that will be leafy greens up to 800,000 pounds of uh, baby spinach, and romaine heart, and lettuce per, uh, per year. And how do you access your clients, your market in your agriculture? Is it farm gate? Is it wholesale? Is it a combination? Yeah, I mean, we started out in a very traditional sense. Uh, it was farm gate, you know, um, I, being in business. I've, I've been in business here in the Yukon for 16 years. I did know a lot of different people. Uh, and when they found out that I was getting into farming, uh, they were uh, quick to ask, like, what do you got available? You know, and we've done, I've done, I've done it all here. I've tested different things. I have had goats, I've had sheep, I've had uh, pigs, rabbits, quail, chickens, meat chickens, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. And, uh, and so at any given time, from a farm gate perspective, I was able to provide those products. Uh, we only specialized, you know, recently when we went corporate and, uh, and adopted some, um, some shareholders and decided, well, let's, let's, let's do something really, really good. And, and then that's what we got into the pigs. And, uh, and you mentioned that you, you've got your sort of hand in a couple of other businesses. You you're, describe yourself as an entrepreneur. Can you give us a sense of what some of those other businesses are? Yeah, I mean, most of my businesses when I first started were very service-related businesses. I started as a security company when I, you know, when I came to the Yukon about six, 16 years ago, uh, serious security. And then I, um, three years after that, I started Gray Management Services, which was a property management company. Three years after that, I bought uh, Carpet Clean and ended up converting it into Yukon Clean, where we do window washing and, uh, and upholstery and carpet cleaning and mat rental and all kinds of things. And obviously, looking at that trend of that every three years doing something new, I realized um, that I was a builder, that I was uh, a developer, that I wasn't really interested in managing them per se and managing employees and managing clients and all that stuff. I was really good at getting it up off the ground and running and operating and handing it off to my business partners and having them expand it and, and, and keeping it profitable and then moving on to the next project. Um, so, so right now, yeah, I'm involved in, in food. So North Star Agriculture, Flat Creek Farms, and of course, um, most recently, Yukon Born and Raised. That's an interesting framing, this idea of being somebody who's a builder versus somebody who's a manager. Um, what have you learned about yourself? How did you kind of get to that space where oh. you recognize yourself as a builder? 
what a journey. <laughs> it took me eight years to figure out that I was a developer, like that I really didn't enjoy managing. I, I could do it, obviously, because you have to to get it up and running. Uh, and that's fine. I don't mind doing that part because everybody's really passionate and excited about a new project. Um, but it came, you know, when it came to the point of the day to day, you know, uh, routine and rut, I really just didn't capture my imagination. I was really interested in, well, what's next? What can we do next? And uh, where's the next opportunity? And, um, you know, we've had rough times up and down financially and everything else. My wife <laughs> and I have had discussions in the past and I've always said, you know, Jen, don't worry about it. We can always make more money. And she says, your confidence when it comes to that is so surprising. I said, it's, it's not hard when you see the world in my lens. You can see opportunities and you know, oh, well, we could always just do that, you know. And so I'm lucky in that respect. I'm very much so, very lucky. Uh, I don't have a business background. I have a high school leaving. Uh, but I do see opportunities and I do know how to bring people together to, you know, maximize the potential of those opportunities. Um, and food was just a natural transition for me because um, everybody has to eat. And there's so many different projects within food that we can do that will impact positively, you know, how people eat uh, and their health and you know, access to nutrition here in the North. And really it was time for me to give back. You know, this place has given me so much. I've worked hard, don't get me wrong, but I could have worked hard back East in Quebec and, and what, what would have the results have been there comparative to here? You know, the Yukon really is a place that's conducive, I think, for entrepreneurs to succeed and uh and have successful lives so what makes the yukon so conducive to entrepreneurship it's it is that final frontier it really is you know i uh i came here i was in the military briefly i did my basic training and ran into a guy who was leaving the military he'd screwed up his knee i was honorably discharged uh for not having the same views as the military at the time <laughs> so so we were sitting there for two weeks waiting to get the heck out of there and uh he was telling me all about home he was from whitehorse i went back uh to quebec and i was there for about two weeks before i caved in and called him and said hey man if you've got room on your couch i will come up there in a heartbeat and uh and i'm glad i did i never looked back i came out here and and it was wide open there was so much opportunity because certain things just weren't in place you know what i mean we're we're if you go back to quebec where i'm from and my my ancestry goes back to 1700s like that's that's you know hundreds of years of businesses being built and you know services being you know met and uh and the competition is very very tight you come here i mean the history is really really just a short span of time you know the first nations i've spoken to elders that remember the first time they saw a car or, or, or you know, uh, a white man. Like, it just wasn't something that, that's, that's you know, as, as old or as established as back east. So lots of opportunity for those of us that really wanted to work hard. <laughs> yeah, and a really sort of Western paradigm or so this sort of modern, you know, e economic environment that we set up. But, um, you know, we were reflecting a little bit or you're talking about sort of, you know, connection with food, connection with, you know, sort of, you, you've run all these sort of service level businesses and you sort of had this moment where you realize that your passion is really in that connection to food, to land, to the environment and sort of taking a deep breath in some of these sort of 
economic systems and food systems that we've established and, and sort of rethinking some of those things. Can you reflect on sort of where you see the food movement going in the Yukon and, and sort of um, where you'd like to see it go? Yeah, I think there's a number of things happening that are really driving um, food and agriculture in this territory. Um, one, obviously, we're in very interesting circumstances right now. So there's a highlight on food, and as well there should be. Um, you know, uh, most recently I've been keeping track of the meat packing plants and the slaughterhouses, and I recognized a long time ago that those industries were very um, easily impacted because there was only a handful of, of, of companies that owned these massive plants. And so this is a really, uh, this is a wake up call, I think, you know, for, for all of Canada, really. Um, and it's, a, it's important how we design our agriculture system here in the Yukon, because we are kind of our own little micro uh, community here. We can do things differently than the rest of the country. Um, and so I think maintaining that, that diversity is important. Uh, you know, making sure that we do have uh, on-farm slaughterhouses, mobile slaughterhouse, uh, fixed location slaughterhouse, uh, keeping things diverse in that respect. Same with food production itself, uh, making sure that we do have corporations that are large enough to be able to supply grocery stores, but also maintaining, you know, farm gate sales for, for those individuals that want to be able to buy straight from the farmer and have that relationship with the farmer and, and see exactly where their food comes from. It's about balance, in my opinion. I think there's room at the table for all of us. Uh, everybody needs to eat, and we all want to supply that that food chain. Um, just let's let's make sure that we you know we maintain that uh, that diversity. You know, well, we're lucky we have a government that's extremely supportive. Uh, they recognize, I think, this this is this is you know prime time for us with this sort of thing going on because you know uh, mining's still continuing. But mining has peaks and troughs in general. Tourism has taken a massive hit, you know. And, and traditionally, those are the two industries that this territory focuses on. Those are our primary industries. So now agriculture is a moment to shine, I feel, because everybody needs food. And now, more so than ever, local food is, is taking the spotlight. And, uh, and it took a pandemic, really, to, <laughs> to put the spotlight where it needs to be shined. But at the end of the day, you know, it if we're going to rebuild this economy, I, I know I personally have been telling the government to, to make sure that we invest back into the food sector and agriculture sector. Let's build this because it's the sort of, the sort of economy, ec economic boost that we really need. I think it's the, it's the, the investment that just keeps on giving. We're going to dump money into it on the front end. There might be some construction pro, you know, projects, et cetera, uh, which will, fast stimulation, you know, uh, quick results. And then over time, we're just going to start to, you know, replace importation. Dis it's, it's all about importation displacement. You know, we're not hurting anybody here locally when we start to grow the sort of volume of food that we're talking about growing. That's what's really exciting. We're, li we're literally, you know, uh, impacting importation or impacting our carbon footprint, um, you know, it's all good stuff. It's all great stuff. You just mentioned sort of our carbon footprint. Do you like what role does agriculture play and, and food security play in, in Yukon's uh, adaptation and 
uh, to climate change or mitigation to climate change? Well, you know, when you start looking, we, we looked at it when we started looking at our, um, at doing our facility for the leafy greens, right? So we're looking at doing a hydroponic facility that recycles most of the water. And we started looking at that same produce and where it comes from typically in our Yucca market. And we're looking at a soil-based product being irrigated out of California where they have problems with water, you know, in general already. Uh, and then they're, you know, they're putting it on a truck and driving it all the way across the country. And by the time it hits us, it's in the last, it's on its last legs, you know, it's the last stage of its life. Um, and so, you know, the nutrition value of that, of that piece of, you know, uh, baby spinach, for example, might not be as high as it was uh, if it had been picked and eaten within 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so ultimately, you, you, you look at that comparative to a system that we were designing where, you know, you're going to pick it, you're going to put it on a shelf within 24 hours. People are going to be able to consume something that's probably the freshest uh, that they've consumed short of getting it out of their backyard and garden, right? And it'll be year long, year long. So that's, that's an opportunity, you know, that's, that's, like I said, that's a legacy. That's something that we can leave behind that, uh, you know, my five, my five boys will, will have growing up here in the Yukon uh, access to, you know, leafy greens all year round. That's, it's massive. When I was, some of the first work that I had in the territory was working in, uh, the mining industry and exploration. And I was reading, um, I'm an avid reader, and I was reading East of Eden for whatever reason that summer. And I was working at a, a camp uh, 60 mile, just outside of Dawson, I guess. And, you know, East of Eden is talking about that sort of early agriculture in the Salinas Valley and um, thinking about this like early freights or, you know, sort of what, what seemed like just in time then of the trains and and you know they had the ability to store like the ice cars and they would move this lettuce from the salinas valley across the country and it was sort of this like early pioneering amazing technology that allowed for this to happen and i remember just being really dumbfounded sort of in this moment of looking at this like really long receipt that i had received from uh, the groceries that i'd ordered for this camp and you know, collect, there's a picture of me. I, I captured the moment in, in a picture because I was holding the, you know, the bin of leafy greens that said product of California. And I was at 60 mile, like I couldn't be further away from this yeah. place. And I'm yeah. reading this book and, you know, it's, and it's sort of chronicling this early agriculture and this, this innovation of moving lettuce across the country. And I just, you know, I, I couldn't help but think that there had to be a better way. And then going forward as a cook in camps, I always would write on my grocery order, local if possible, local if possible. And there's such incredible growers in, in the Dawson city area. And, and going forward, that's what we got. And, and, and so it was always, it was always local produce first. It's, yeah. And it was better. And, and you know, because it's grown with love and it's grown with, you know, the sun that we're under, you know, like the environment in which we're in. And, and that's so important. And, and it is kind of this craziness of this agricultural system that we've produced that, you know, here I am on the, the top of the world <laughs> pulling out leafy greens from California. So that's an interesting connection. You, you play a leadership role here in the territory and, and just sort of wondering what's kind of keeping you grounded right now as, you know, leaders throughout the territory. This is a challenging time to, you know, be, be 
careful of, of how we make decisions. So what's keeping you grounded? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm a very, I have two types of tired and mental tired. We're doing stuff like this at the end of the day, you know, being on Zoom or texting or emailing or working on proposals and stuff like that is very mentally exhausting. And then I have a physical tired where if I'm at the farm and I'm working hard with my hands all day, you know, whatever that might look like, that that's a that's a really good tired. And so when I'm when I'm emotionally tired, I will go back outside and work on the farm. You know, I get my hands dirty and that's really what actually it grounds me physically. You know, I'm able to get dirty. Uh, I was out there all weekend. Um because the snow is melting and there's water everywhere. And so we're just, you know, mitigating and getting ready. Um, fixing fence, fixing gates, moving pigs. We've got all kinds of pregnant sows right now. Uh, so it's that time of the year. We're gonna have piglets everywhere in the next little while. So just prepping and getting everybody ready, fixing things that they broke, because pigs like to break things over the winter when they're bored. So it grounds me, you know, I really, um, reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, because these animals uh, even deserve the best possible life. They'll have one bad day, you know, and they won't even remember it. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Fair. Um, when it comes to sort of people who are thinking about their, their businesses right now, um, I mean, you, you talked about being a builder and I think that builders are inherently fairly adaptable because you're looking for opportunity. Um, and we're talking a lot about businesses needing to be adaptable in this time. Do you have any advice on sort of how you create a, a place of adaptability in your business? Oh, we're freezing. I'm not sure if you can still hear me. Hi, we're yeah. back. We were, I was frozen. I can hear right here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had the same problem. I, I got the gist of your, your question. Anyways, you were saying that things are different, things are changing. And for people starting uh, new businesses, I guess, or adapting their current business models. Yeah. So if you're an entrepreneur, typically you're, you're innovative. You're already in that headspace. You're already creative. You're already working outside the box because you saw an opportunity and you, you went for it. This, uh, you know, a pandemic is no different. It can be treated as, you know, the worst possible situation that has ever occurred to us. Some people, it is. They lost their businesses. They lost everything that they've worked for. Um, but it is also an opportunity to switch gears and, and try something different, try a different approach. Uh, you're going to look around. You're going to see, like I said, these vacuums. They are all around us right now um, because people are in a certain headspace because people are in certain circumstances. Uh, they don't have access to things that they typically did. Um, a lot of opportunity in my mind, you know, uh, for us, obviously in the food sector, we've seen massive spike. Everybody is buying local. Everybody is, is supporting local because they know now <laughs> the importance of, of supporting that. Uh, and helping it grow. And so, I, I mean, I've been on Facebook and just watching like all these different people saying like, hey, anybody got any chickens for sale? We want to have chickens in the backyard this year. Anybody, you know, anybody got any tomato plants? Anybody got any, you know, and it's going to be huge this year. It's going to be massive. We're going to see a, a massive influx of people 
grabbing the bull by the horns and taking care of their own uh, food security. And I don't think it'll be any different from a business perspective. I'm seeing people right now that are switching gears and doing things differently with their businesses because necessity breeds innovation. <laughs> I know whenever I go into my chicken coop these days to my layer hens and I'm just like, thank you, ladies. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Can I How many eggs your... did I get today? Oh, this That's is beautiful. Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I mean, for even within my family, we, you know, we decided uh, at the beginning of this year, one of our resolutions was to only support buying local meats as much as possible, which we knew that that would mean going without some of the things that we love um, sometimes. But uh but also it you know it, it asked us to be uh creative in where we were finding our meats and how we're finding our meat and things like that so uh, and it means that we eat a, you know more beans and stuff like that too to some kind of supplement because there's an addition there can be an additional cost buying local but um but the 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 gift that buying local um provides for us is far greater mm -hmm. in creating that local system well the yukon's in a position that supply you with pretty much every meat that you're going to need i think no at Just first we were like what what are we going to do without bacon because we you know we get our we, we we slaughter a pig every year and and then and butcher it up and get a bit of bacon but that's not enough bacon to get through no, the whole year no. yeah yeah <laughs> well you can go yukon born and raised has bacon and we have an I online know. store now too we we, we just, that's something that you're going to have to see change right is online stores all of a sudden everybody's got to do an online store because we can't do that contact the way we did so we did an online store and what a what a difference right now people are literally if you're going to do grocery shopping online with you know uh with loblaws the superstore uh this isn't a stretch to do the same so I've, I've seen a lot of uptake which has been really interesting and uh and that's gonna be crazy like i i knew that we weren't coming out of this the same because and i told my wife this i said look at the end of the day there was a uh, an entire cross-section of the population that did not want to adopt certain aspects of technology. They didn't want to do stuff like this. They didn't want to use online banking. They didn't want to order the grocery store, the groceries off the internet and then have them, you know, delivered or picked up. Um, but this is forcing people to do these things. And it takes 30 days to build a habit. We're going to come out of this. People are going to just naturally start continuing to do what they do. What does that make us? Like what are the benefits and what are the, you know, the pros versus the cons? That's going to be something I think that's we're going to find out in the long term. And if it means that we've further distanced ourselves as a society from having contact, that's, 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 I think that's going to be the detriment, right? That'll be the, the aspect that, uh, that causes some detriment. But the entrepreneur in me always is excited about advances, you know, in technology and innovation. Uh, but I do find a lack of connection with people. Uh, and, and I have a hard time. I've always had a hard time with that. Uh, I'm surrounded here at McPherson by three neighbors, but I don't know them. That's foreign to me. I grew up, you know, in Quebec where I knew all my neighbors. I knew my neighbors for 20 kilometers, right? Because we just helped each other and we're always there for each other. And that's changed as I've gotten older. You know, things have changed. And a lot of it has to do with contact. And I don't know if we're going to come out of this uh, the same. Well, I know we're going to be different. I don't know if it's going to be for the best or, or, or what. 
Yeah, we, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood in, you know, the West End of Toronto, but one of the things that we always did was have these sort of block parties where we'd shut down the street and it was an opportunity to kind of get to know your neighbor. And, and that's certainly something that I value a lot and have brought into um, into the community where I live and sort of opportunities to sort of have, usually it's centered around meat. <laughs> you know, we get the big yeah. smoker out or whatever it is and, and have an opportunity, you know, to, to come together as neighbors. And, and I had to, you know, I was kind of planning one for April and realized I had to take that out of my calendar, you know, the other day. Um, oh, I'm getting a bunch of feedback here. And, um, and that was like a, that was a really sad moment for me. Sorry, I'm getting a whole bunch of feedback. Are you getting any? No, I'm getting over here. Yeah. I'll try switching that. Can you hear me still? Ooh, technical issues. Oh no, I can't hear you at all anymore. You sound like you're underwater. I can't hear you at all. I wonder you can hear me still, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, I don't know how that's going to affect our recording quality, so we probably better sign off here just in case it's terrible. <laughs> okay. But thanks so much for this. This was fantastic. But I guess, I don't know. Oh, actually, it's better now. So if there was a book or a podcast or anything that you would recommend, what would you recommend? Oh, boy. Let's see. Um, I mean, I've been reading, um, I've been reading The Resilient Farm and Homestead. It's a permaculture uh, book. Um, a little heavy in terms of the amount of, you know, the, the amount of uh, expertise required, uh, or the expectation required, I guess. Um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, one of my favorite books has always been uh, Tools of the Titans, uh, Tim Ferriss, only because it's not like a, a run-on book. It's literally like bits and pieces, uh, and it speaks to, to entrepreneurs typically. So, I, yeah, I mean, as the farmer in me is saying, <laughs> the permaculture book that I'm currently reading, or the entrepreneur in me is saying, yeah, you know, Tools of the Titans is a pretty good book. And then... Um, these days, other than reading, I'm, I'm doing, I, I'm listening to music and music is kind of my, it's always happening in the background. I actually shut it off to do this because otherwise it's, it's running in the background. I listen to everything. So these days, uh, it's been a mixture of Chris Stapleton and Metallica and Pink Floyd. Yeah. <laughs> All over the place. But you know. It uh, plays in the background and it motivates me to uh, when I'm emotionally exhausted. Uh, I, I'll uh, I'll switch gears. I'll go outside and it'll be listening to the water running and the you know the pigs snoring. The other day I was over there. They were all sleeping in the sun, snoring. Oh, like, yeah. that sounds divine. <laughs> I got the light, babe. I've got a, I've got an old hound dog and she is surefire to be like found just basking in the sun against the side of the house and I just think like what glory it. what glory yeah. yeah it's not just us that appreciates spring you know the animals do too they really do they love it yeah well thanks so much Sunny for sharing your time with us today yeah thanks for having me I really enjoyed it I appreciate it cool take care you too bye, -bye.